Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK the capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. This week's event occurred in the year 1862. But what else happened that year? Well, on the 16th of January, there was the Hartley Colliery disaster in northeast England. 204 men were trapped and eventually died underground when the only shaft became blocked. On the 4th of July, Charles Dodgson takes Alice Little and her sisters on a rowing trip on the Isis from Folly Bridge, Oxford to Godstow. During that trip, he tells them the story that's to become Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Charles Dodson is better known as Lewis Carroll. And on the 30th of September, Clifton College opens as a public school in Bristol. Today's event concerns Mary Anne French, aged 35, whose maiden name was Toes. She was the mother of three, Mary Anne, nine, William, eight, and James, only two. She worked as an ironer, but was indicted for the murder of Alice Dyer in the lodging house at 41 Hotwells Road, Bristol. It was in this building that both parties lived. Word of the Week Tuck your ears back for this week I give you... Nemophilist, which is a person who is fond of forests or forest scenery. And once again, the word is nemophilist. Alice's husband, George Dyer, said that he lived in the same lodging house as the prisoner and was a sailor. His wife was only 37 years old and had been injured on the 24th of September. Previous to that, She had been in very good health the whole time he'd known her, which was 19 years. He told how they had been in their room with their son, aged two, and Susan Harris, a friend. Mary Ann had forced her way in with her husband, Abraham. She hadn't knocked or asked to come in when she violently pushed the door open. In her hand was a small iron poker, which had a knob on it. She said nothing as she calmly strode over to where Alice was sat 
and struck her around the back of the head with the knob of the poker. Alice fell to the ground and Mary Ann screamed, I'll knock your b***ing skull in! She then turned around and walked out of the room and stayed in the corridor outside. The police were called and she was taken into custody, screaming obscenities all the way. One of the first witnesses called was Susan Harris. She was a friend who was in the room when Alice got attacked with the poker. I and my husband live in a court in St George's Road, Bristol. On the 24th of September, about seven o'clock in the evening, I was on the Hotwell Road near the Tiger Beer House. I was talking to the prisoner when deceased and her husband came up. When I met the prisoner, she had two women with her and she said that Dyer was going to take off his strap to beat two women. Dyer said, prisoner's husband, here's George Dyer, what do you want of him? Whereupon a fight ensued between the prisoner and deceased. Dyer went to take his wife's part and then the two men commenced fighting. This lasted until the police came and the prisoner was taken to the police station. For some unknown reason, the police didn't keep Marianne in custody long and she was back out and went back to her lodgings. Shortly afterwards, Marianne left her room and went downstairs where the Dyers lived. Susan Harris says, I heard a noise and on going down, I found deceased and her husband and the prisoner. French also came down from his room and the two men began fighting. Deceased was standing behind her husband and the prisoner was standing in the stairs. I heard the prisoner tell her little girl to go and fetch a flat. This was repeated several times before the child went, but she afterwards went for it and gave it to her mother and she struck deceased with it upon the head. She bled very much and cried out, Oh, my head is cut. Susan immediately took Alice into Alice's lodgings and washed her head with cold water. There was a great deal of blood which flowed down her neck and three pails of water were used to wash her head with. Susan offered to cut off her hair and put a plaster on it, but Alice refused, saying that it was too sore for her to touch it. Instead, she wrapped a towel around her head. That was when Mary Ann forced the door open, came into the room with a poker in her hand and struck Alice on the head with it. Alice fell down with the blow. The Big Bristol to London the Stroll. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. Hello and welcome to the Big Bristol to London Stroll where we take you along the scenic routes via canals on a gentle walk to our capital. Along the way, we'll discuss the places we see and anything we spot that takes our fancy. Sometimes, we're even joined along the way by family and friends. So come join us as we take the big stroll. After strolling through lovely countryside and small villages for the past few weekends, arriving at Reading was quite a change. The first written mention of a settlement in Reading was on the 4th of January, 871, with the Battle of Reading, 
fought between the Danes, King Ethelred, and his brother, Alfred the Great. The town was then known as Reddingham. In 1628, Reading was home to the Oracle, one of the earliest workhouses built in the country, and its primary use was for the production of cloth. It is from the Oracle that the new shopping centre takes its name. The 200,000 bricks and tiles needed for the building of the workhouse were generously supplied by a Mr Brockham from Tilehurst at a cost of 12 shillings and 6 pence per thousand. In 1844, the current Reading prison was built to a design by George Gilbert Scott based on the cruciform design of London's Pentonville prison. It was also a site for executions, the first one being carried out in front of a crowd of 10,000 in 1845 and the last one in 1913. The most famous inmate was Oscar Wilde, who was imprisoned in 1895 and upon his release in May 1897, wrote The Ballad of Reading Jail, which was published in 1898 under the name C.3.3, which stood for Cell Block C, Landing 3, Cell 3. In Reading Jail by Reading Town, there is a pit of shame, and in it lies a wretched man, eaten by teeth of flame. In burning, winding sheet he lies, and his grave has got no name. If you head towards Blaygrave Street, you'll find the Reading Museum, which started out in 1883 with a bequest from local collector Horatio Bland. He left the town his private museum of fascinating objects, from ancient Greek pots to a duck-billed platypus. Today, they have almost 500,000 objects of archaeology, art, natural history, social history and world cultures. As you may be aware, we are doing this massive walk to raise money for Suicide Prevention Bristol in memory of Sarah, a listener and a friend. If you want to show some support and make a donation to this worthy cause, then head over to Just Giving and type in Backtracker and you should find the page. And if you've got any spare time and the weather's nice, why don't you pop on your walking boots and get outside? After striking Alice about the head with the poker, Marianne went outside onto the pavement and said, If you want to fight with pokers, I can fight. During the court proceedings, it was at this point that the judge asked whether Marianne was in great passion, to which Susan replied that Marianne had had a drop. Mr Cook, the prosecutor, said, Which in Bristol means a good deal. Susan carried on with the recollection. Deceased went to bed and on the following morning appeared at the council house with her head bound. She afterwards went to the infirmary and died in about eight days. Up next was Anne King, who ran the Nightingale Tavern in Hotwell Road with her husband. In September, prisoner and her husband, and deceased and her husband, occupied apartments in my house. I lived in an adjoining house, and on the evening in question, deceased came and paid me some money. And about 20 minutes after she left, she returned. 
with her hand to her face and complained of having been struck by French. French and his wife came to the door in a violent manner, threatened Dyer and his wife. They said they would beat their brains out and raise a colonel on their nuts. Mr Cook, the prosecutor, explained. Which means, my lord, at Bristol, swelling on the forehead. Anne continued her story, telling how she closed and locked the door whilst Marianne was fighting to stop her. Marianne and her husband, Abram, stood outside the house threatening Dyer and her husband for an hour until Anne called for the police, who removed them, and the Dyers then left. Ten minutes later, Anne saw them again. The deceased was on the ground and the prisoner was beating her. A policeman came and took Mrs French away, but at a later period of the evening I saw the prisoner flourishing a poker and saying if anyone wanted a fight, she would give them their supper and add in... There are no the police! And we can give them their supper. The witness, Anne King, mentioned how she saw Marianne repeatedly bash Alice's head onto the pavement during the altercation in the street. PC Henry Drake stated in the coroner's inquest that he'd seen Alice on the ground and Marianne punching her in the head with her fist. He took her to the Clifton Station House on a charge of being drunk and disorderly and using obscene language but she was discharged. He later heard about the poker and arrested Marianne again. Ellen Britt, a nurse at the Bristol Infirmary, said the deceased died on the 6th of October. Mr E.C. Board, the house surgeon at the Bristol Infirmary, said that Alice had been brought in between 5 and 6 p.m. on Sunday, the 5th of October. She was perfectly sensible and could describe her symptoms coherently. Her condition gradually declined, though. He told the court... Deceased was under my care for about a day and a half. She was suffering from tetanus and had a wound in the head. I made a post-mortem examination and discovered a wound on the back of the head, penetrating to the bone. It was such a wound as would cause death. It was a result of violence, but I cannot say whether it was occasioned by a blunt instrument or not, as I did not see her for a week after. On cross-examination, Mr Board said... It might have been caused by the fall. She died from lockjaw ensuing from the wound. He described the wound as resembling three legs of an X, which could not have been produced by a sharp instrument, but might have been caused by her head striking the pavement repeatedly. He also said that Alice knew she was going to die, as she asked for her chaplain beforehand. At the coroner's inquest, Marianne herself requested a witness, and the coroner allowed it. Eliza Collins, who ran the Oddfellows Arms on the Hotwell Road, told how the Dyers and the Frenches had all been drinking in her pub between 8 and 9pm when she heard Alice saying three times that she was never a whore or had an illegitimate child. This statement apparently got Marianne very excited. The defendant's lawyer addressed the jury, contending that at the most... The prisoner was only guilty of manslaughter, especially as the medical witness left it in doubt whether the death was caused by tetanus ensuing from the alleged blow from the poker or the fall or a blow from the flat iron given in a fight. He called upon the jury to return a similar verdict to the coroner's jury at Bristol, one of manslaughter only. The judge, though, while bearing testimony to the wise and able manner in which the prisoner's case had been conducted, warned the jury not to be led to find a verdict of manslaughter because the coroner's jury had found that verdict, 
because they had no knowledge what state of facts were presented to the coroner's jury, or even what the coroner had said to that jury. He said that no one could say that the magistrates were not justified into inquiring into this case. To suggest that the blow was caused by a fall, there was no evidence of the deceased having fallen at all. If they thought the blow was caused by the flat iron during the fight, they might return a verdict of manslaughter. But if they were of the opinion that the injury resulted from a blow from the poker, the case assumed great gravity and gave rise to a most serious question. The jury, after a short deliberation, returned a verdict of manslaughter, and the judge, remarking on the aggravated nature of the case, said though he did not dispute the propriety of the verdict, yet his opinion was that she had been guilty of murder. As Marianne had had time to calm down, before going downstairs and beating Alice with the poker. He sentenced her to 15 years penal servitude, at which the prisoner seemed greatly surprised at the severity of the sentence and burst into tears and her cries were heard for some time after her removal from court. Ted Bundy murdered my dad's friend in 1974 while on his reign of terror in Utah. At least, Bundy admitted to killing her just before his execution, but police were never able to locate her body. That's the topic of just one episode on Straight Up Enigmas, a podcast to explore the unexplained, spine-tingling supernatural stories, historical mysteries, and true crime cases are all things to expect when you tune in to our show. We discuss the impossible murder of Julia Wallace, share terrifying true stories from our listeners about sleep paralysis, and explore Cleopatra's lost tomb. I'm Jaden McKell, and I'm the host of Straight Up Enigmas. Our bite-sized bi-weekly episodes focus on the world's strangest mysteries, Sacred and Sonic Geometry, The Mistress of Murder Farm, Turkmenistan's Door to Hell, The Curse of the Horror Film, The Omen, and much more. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. In the news today, with Halloween fast approaching, Boffins in Bristol have discovered why Dracula does not want to attend business meetings. Apparently, he's afraid of the stakeholders. Back in the day facts. October the 9th, 1967, socialist revolutionary and guerrilla leader Che Guevara, aged 39, is killed by the Bolivian army. The US military-backed Bolivian forces captured Guevara on October the 8th while battling his band of guerrillas in Bolivia and executed him the following day. His hands were cut off as proof of death and his body was buried in an unmarked grave. In 1997, Guevara's remains were found and sent back to Cuba, where they were reburied in a ceremony attended by President Fidel Castro 
and thousands of Cubans. On the 11th of October 1975, the epic single Born to Run became Bruce Springsteen's first ever Top 40 hit, marking the start of his eventual transition from little-known cult figure to international superstar. And on the 12th of October 1492, after sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus sights a Bahamian island, believing he has reached East Asia. His expedition went ashore the same day and claimed the land for Isabella and Ferdinand of Spain, who sponsored his attempts to find a Western Ocean route to China, India and the fabled gold and spice islands of Asia. On October 13th, 1884, Greenwich in London was established as the Universal Time Meridian of Longitude. And on the 14th of October, 1066, we had the Battle of Hastings, where William, Duke of Normandy and his Norman army defeat the English forces of Harold II, who is killed in the battle. I'm afraid that's it, my friend, the end of another show. But don't worry, I'll be here, same time, same place, next week. And as always, I'd like to thank the amazing stars of the show who brought today's story to life. And today, they include Catherine Ayres and John Locke from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Heidi Cable-Smith, Andrea Reed, and Joe Wilson from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. Well, that's the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the story of The Neighbour from Hell. As always, it would be wonderful to hear from you with your opinions or comments about this or any other show. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about the show and leave feedback wherever you can because it all helps. But for now, I have to say goodbye. So until next time, take care and look after each other.